You're listening to Panels of Blood, part of SplatterPictures.net. Hello and welcome to Panels of Blood, the podcast where I read you horror comics from all eras. I'm your host, Wes, Dead Air Nipe. If you're just joining us, we have been reading the series Hackslash, specifically My First Maniac. We are currently on issue two. If you guys want to get caught up on the previous two episodes where you can hear about my introduction to the character of Cassie Hack and the series of Hackslash, all about Tim Seeley's other writing, and, of course, get the first two issues of the story that we're at. I don't really have too much chit-chat because I feel bad enough already that we took so long to get here. So, without further ado, I bring you issue three of Hackslash, my first maniac. Story by Tim Seeley. Art, Daniel Leister. Colors, Mark Englert. Letters by Crank. Edits, James Louder. Cassie Hack, created by Tim Seeley with Stefano Caselli. We open to a bunch of young people dancing in a nightclub. The focus is on a blonde woman with large breasts. She's wearing a tube top. The caption reads, Manchester, Iowa, Club Fuzz. Cassie's narration begins. All these teenagers, each of them, an individual with a unique life, singular experiences, and a distinct viewpoint. Each of them doing his or her best to hide that individuality by wearing the pre-designed mask of some designated subgroup. Jocks, punks, gearheads, burnouts, standing out by blending in. The next panel, Cassie, with a case of beer in her hands. For those of you who don't remember, she does work at Club Fuzz. The camera is to her back. In the corner of the panel, a close-up of her face. She looks kind of disgusted. And me, watching them, learning their ways, studying their lives, so that I can blend in too. Because that will help me be a better hunter. I learn their ways, become like them, let the predator think I'm its prey, until it's mine. I'm not one of these kids. I'm just undercover. Deep. Undercover. Cassie, walking with the case of beer in her hands, a young woman interrupts her. She has red hair tied back and looks a little gothy. Holding a red bowl in her hand, she points at Cassie. Oh, cute outfit. Where'd you get it? Cassie responds. Uh, my friend Sarah picked it out. Well, you look hot. A close-up of Cassie. She looks genuinely shocked and a little happy. Not used to compliments. Oh, um, thanks. Cassie's boss bursts out the side door, screaming at her and waving his fist. Hack! Move that ass! The little ADHD shits need their liquid Ritalin. <laughs> liquid Ritalin. Cassie now, with a steely-eyed gaze, looks on into the crowd. Behind her, two missing person signs are taped to the wall. Her narration. All these teens are undercover in their own way. At a certain point, they forget where the mask ends, and they begin. Cassie now standing outside of Club Buzz. A car pulls up. Maybe that's happening to me. 
the girl I am here in Manchester dresses fashionably. She has friends. She goes to parties. She doesn't get beat up. She never had a crazy mom who cooked her classmates. For years, being liked and accepted was my elusive prey. So I wonder, which hunt am I still on? Kelsey and Sarah in the vehicle, they smile at her. Well, Sarah kind of has this big, loud, wide-open-mouth expression on her. Kelsey says, Hey, Cassie. Sarah says, Get in, bitch. It's party time. An establishing shot. We are now at Farmer Fig's old farm. Next to the barn is a vast cornfield. In the clearings, a whole bunch of teens burning trash cans, beer, music, good times. Cassie's narration. This is where most weekend nights end up. The old fig farm. Abandoned. Possessed of a dark past. The mix of sex and death that teens love so much. Cassie, standing next to a beer keg, has a couple of guys hanging around her. One of the dudes says, Wait, you go to Buffalo Center? Which is the high school there, if you remember. Cassie says, Yeah, uh, I'm new. The other guy says, I haven't seen you around. Who do you have for chem? Cassie. Um, I'm in a special class with a one-on-one tutor. A close-up shot of Cassie sipping from a Dixie cup. Sarah is right next to her. Sarah says, Yeah, she isn't in any of my classes either. Sometimes I swear she just comes to school for lunch. Someone shouts, Sarah, your turn for a keg stand. Sarah leans into Kelsey and kisses his cheek. She puts a hand on Cassie's shoulder. Gotta go. Some freshman bitch beat my record. Cassie, keep an eye on my hot piece of man meat and see that he stays out of trouble, would you? Cassie, oh yeah, sure. Cassie giving Kelsey an accusing gaze. All right, man meat. Don't stray too far. Kelsey, I know, right? Just once I would love to be called something simple, like boyfriend. Suddenly, a guy in a hoodie shouts out, pointing to oncoming police cars. We got bacon! Cops! Someone shouting for the crowd. Shit, man, this is strike three if I get caught. No way am I going to dum-dum school. Cassie turns to Kelsey. What do we do? Kelsey, the cops will circle the farm, head across the street. There's a big-ass woods over there. Cassie, what about Sarah? Kelsey, I'll call her. Suddenly, a very heavy-set goth woman bumps into Kelsey, knocking him on the ground and making his cell phone fly out of his hand. She says, Watch out, sports fan. Cassie, looking to the direction of the goth woman, helping Kelsey up. Shit, are you okay? That was like a two-ton gothopotamus. Kelsey, crap, my phone. I dropped it. From one of the corners, the police officer shouts, Hey, you kids, hold it! There's a group of police officers. One of them has a teen in cuffs, and he's putting them in the back of a car. The other two look off in Cassie and Kelsey's direction. Cassie has her arm looped around Kelsey and is pulling him towards the woods. She says, Screw the phone. Sarah told me to keep your ass out of trouble. Establishing shot. The cornfield. The same night. We hear a voice. Seriously, Anne, this is the last time I follow you anywhere. Fuck you, D. How was I supposed to know? And we see two women. D, the blonde. Anne, a redhead. Young, attractive. Perfect slasher bait. D says, Everybody knows that you never run to the cornfield when the cops bust up a party. Oh, come on. Don't tell me you believe that farmer fig stuff. D, no. 
You never run to the cornfield because the ground is covered in mud and crow shit, which will completely destroy the $600 pair of shoes you wore to prove to that bitch Melissa Schwartz that you were not, like, totally poor. Jeez, sorry. D goes on. Every time some half-digested corn squeezes through my toes, I die a little inside and... And I said I was sorry. We have a panel. Our slasher, grin face, white eyes, striped red sweater, stringy black hair, brandishing a regular hammer, but the hammer is covered in blood. And in fact, so is grin face. But out of the corner, we hear a voice, but we don't see who's speaking. Simply says, no, Matthew. In the next panel, we see the headlights of the police cars shining numerous lights into the cornfield. And this mysterious voice goes on to say, Now is not a good time to beat your high score. The nice thing about comic books, just as a little aside, is because we don't hear anything, obviously we're just reading it, you can really pull the taffy on not telling somebody who a character is, particularly in cases like this, where somebody knows the slasher, knows his name is Matthew, and for some reason, Matthew listens to this voice. But we don't know who it is. Now, if this was a film or a TV show, you would hear their voice and you would probably be able to figure out who it is if you've met that character already. Comics get to cheat a little bit. At any rate, establishing shot. Cassie and Kelsey enter the woods. The camera is overhead and we can see them in a small clearing. Cassie's looking behind them. You think Sarah got away okay? Kelsey, I know she did. Hey, give her a call. She can pick us up on the other side. I... Uh, I don't have a cell phone. Kelsey elbows her. Cassie looks slightly embarrassed and chews her lip. You don't have a cell phone? Did you move here from Middle Earth? Cassie's head is tilted down, her hair falling in front of her face. She looks sheepishly over at Kelsey. I, I know I should get one. I never had one as a kid because my mom wouldn't... Actually, let's not talk about my mom. The two walk into the woods together. Cassie just lets out a sigh. The next panel... Almost the same, except now Kelsey has one finger up. He's realized something. Ha! And now I totally get it. Cassie smiles at him. She pushes some brush aside as they walk through the woods. How do you mean? Kelsey, you came here out of nowhere. You don't talk about your past. As far as I can tell, you don't actually go to our school. You live in a hotel? A close-up of Kelsey's face. He looks at her warmly. But Sarah took to you right away. She doesn't do that. I mean... Like ever. Hell, we've been dating for a few months, and I don't think she thinks of me like that. Kelsey and Cassie now leave the woods. They cross an empty street and head down the road. Cassie asks, Does it bother you that Sarah treats you, you know, Kelsey, like a backup? I was going to say pet pee-pee, but yours is better. She can tell herself whatever she wants, but the truth is, she always comes to me. I know there's no one else. Kelsey's looking up to the sky as he talks. Cassie is just behind him, over his shoulder. Besides, I kind of like it. Most girls our age are so blatant and shallow. Sarah, she... Well, there's something very deep behind those eyes. Something hurt and tortured, but strong and resilient. I like that. Kelsey looks back at Cassie. Maybe that's why I took to you, too. Cassie looks away and brushes some hair out of her face. She says nothing. Cassie looks up to the sky. The night sky is leaving. The morning dawn is now coming. Cassie says, Oh, fuck. It's morning already? 
Now a shot of the two walking down the street. They're very tiny, as you can see a lot of the neighborhood. The motel, a church across the road, the morning sun lighting everything slightly orange. Kelsey says, And there's Casa de Cassie. Cassie. Jeez, this town is so small, I'm pretty sure you can fart across it. The two enter Cassie's hotel room. Cassie says, You can use my phone. Oh, sorry. And as the two have entered, Cassie is now quickly trying to clear all of her clothes, socks, underwear, shirts, whatever, off of her bed. Just quickly cleaning everything up. Kelsey reassures her. Don't worry. I grew up with two older sisters. As he's on the phone. Hmm. No answer. With the door still open, Kelsey is now thumbing behind himself as if he's going to leave. I guess I'll walk back to the farm and find my phone. Probably be able to catch Sarah by then. Cassie with... Looks like she's levitating all of the clothes in the air. Socks, underwear, whatnot. Except I think it's just her dropping everything at once. But, you know, those panels, just taking a snapshot. Cassie says, Shit, if I hadn't left my van at the club, I could give you a ride. Don't worry about it. It's a nice morning. The panel now facing the door of Cassie's motel room. Cassie in the foreground. We just see her back and her butt. She's holding on to pink panties. Kelsey's in the doorway looking at her. It was great talking to you, Cassie. You're a really cool girl. He closes the door. Cassie's still in the same position. We now have an adorable panel of Cassie, wide-eyed, her face softened, her lips puckered into a bit of a smile. She's lying on her stomach on her bed, her legs bent and her feet sort of kicked back behind her, writing in her diary like she's 12 years old. And she writes, Today, for the first time ever, someone said I was cool. <laughs> it's like something I'd write in my diary. We now have Kelsey walking back to Farmer Fig's farm, the sun still rising. With his hands in his pockets, he strolls through the remnants of the party that they had. Clothes, another sock, crushed beer cans, a tapped beer keg. Kelsey bends down and finds his cell phone. There you are. Huh? He looks off into another direction, hearing a noise. From the cornfield, we see the back of Sarah's head, that blonde top and pink highlights. Kelsey calls out, Sarah? We now see a close-up of Sarah. She is completely covered in blood, and she weakly says, Kelsey. We're now back in Cassie's hotel room. She's still lying on the bed on her stomach, writing in her journal. We can see the morning light coming through her windows. Her narration in the form of diary writing starts. When I look back at what I've written, it seems like I'm reading someone else's story. A local legend, a campfire story, like the tale of Farmer Fig, and with each telling, the tale gets more distorted, further from the truth, further from reality. My mom was the lunch lady. And here we have a transition of panels. So first panel is floating. There's a panel behind all the panels of Cassie writing and a close-up panel of Cassie now getting up from her bed and finishing off what she's writing in her book. And that section goes, she went back home to her hole in the ground. And going home is something I will never do. Not to that home, anyway. These are paraphrasing a lot of what Cassie was writing before. Maybe I was supposed to stay with Shannon and Karen. Those were her foster parents, if you remember. Cassie now dropping her diary on her bed and walking towards her motel window. Maybe this trip, chasing a campfire story, is actually a chance to start over. New town, new life, friends. Cassie looking conflicted 
stares out her window. A new place to come home to. But just as she has that thought, she looks down to the church across the street, and we see the figure of someone reaching for a stick. There's someone down there, behind the church. Someone familiar. His name is Lump? Or Lunk? No, Ludo. Like the fuzzy thing in Labyrinth. A week ago, he and his friend tried to beat up a kid in the fuzz lot. It's because of him. I'm at Sarah and Kelsey. I'll bet those stains on his ignorant Mime Squad t-shirt aren't fine red wine. And we do see Ludo. And if you guys remember, as Cassie was just explaining, Ludo and his buddy were beating up a gay kid at Club Fuzz. And Cassie broke this guy's arm. He is indeed looking haggard. The last time we saw him, he was Farmer Fig's barn. He found the strange arcade machine. And we know that his friend got killed by Grinface. We now have a close-up on Ludo. One of his arms in a cast... The casted arm is touching the church, while the other one is trying to reach for a bag of fast food on the ground. Ludo says, Come on, motherfucker. Sorry, Jesus. I'm trying to stay with you here, but I'm so hungry. Please, just a few leftover french fries. We see his stick lamely poking at the bag of fast food that says, King Burger. <laughs> the beloved beloved and well-known franchise, King Burger. Suddenly, Cassie's boot kicking Ludo in the back. She says, fishing for fast food? You really know how to impress a girl. A shot of Cassie's legs standing over Ludo. The panel's completely white. He looks scared. She says, you want to tell me why you look like you went to prom with Carrie? Oh, fuck you. Ludo scrambles and tries to get back to the church, completely ignoring that Cassie's there. Get out of the way! Gotta stay on holy fucking ground! Cassie looks genuinely confused. Ludo is hugging the church. Dear Lord Jesus, please protect me! Keep me safe on your hallowed ground from that evil that plagues my ass! Cassie, the hell? Cassie, by the way, is holding her baseball bat. Cassie poking said baseball bat into the back of Ludo's neck. You want to tell me what's going on before I give you a pair of matching arms? Ludo. I saw the devil. The devil himself. He killed Jay. Smashed his brains in. Smiling like a little kid on Christmas. And I just ran. The devil had me in such a trance. I couldn't even fire my gun. I ran. And now the devil's coming after me. I've been hiding here because I know only hollow ground will keep him from doing to me what he did to Jay in that cornfield. Cassie still pointing the bat at him. Cornfield? Cassie now gritting her teeth. She jams the bat deep into the back of Ludo. You would better not be fucking with me. No, it's all true. Cassie's in a monologue. There's fear in his eyes. It's real. It's the kind of fear I've seen before. Ludo looking back at Cassie. We can only see Cassie's bat in this panel. We went out to Fig's farm. Thought there was going to be a party, but it was a trap. It was a shack with old arcade games, and a black demon bird, and... Oh god, the devil smashed Jay's head and tried to baptize me in his blood. Ludo closing his eyes, still hugging the church for dear life. The worst part was, he put a fucking point value on our souls. It was all a game. Just a game. Cassie holding her diary out. Draw me a map. Narration. Fig's farm. All those kids at the party. Sarah. And Kelsey. Kelsey went back there to get his phone. Ludo looking back to Cassie as she walks away. Are you crazy, bitch? You can't go out there with just a bat. Cassie, you're right. She turns and stretches out her hand. 
a determined look on her face. Give me your gun. The sun high. Cassie is covered by the shadow of a tree as she approaches Farmer Fig's farm. Her narration. I came here looking for answers, trying to find out if there was others like my mom. Cassie, looking at the map Ludo drew for her. But I let myself get pulled into other people's lives. People with the kind of lives I always wanted. She now heads into the open, dilapidated barn. I wasn't just deep undercover anymore. I got dumb. Comfortable. I went native. Cassie sees something on the ground. A torn piece of paper. A photograph. She picks it up. I'm not a hunter. I'm just a stupid, lonely girl. Incomplete. Half-formed. Torn apart. She takes a close look at the photo. It's a photo of Sarah. And she confirms. Sarah? And we can see from the torn photo that it just might be Kelsey that she's with. Cassie, putting the photo into her diary, she looks suspiciously around this empty barn. Her narration. The other half of this photo was Kelsey. Farmer Fig. The devil. Someone wants to play a game. And by forgetting my own rules? Cassie looks at that mysterious arcade machine. A cracked monitor. Bright yellow screen glowing. It says highest scores. The highest scores are all one name over and over and over again. Matthew. 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 Etc. Etc. Cassie's narration. And by forgetting my own rules, I may have already lost. Cassie, distracted by the arcade machine, doesn't see Sarah standing behind her, covered in blood, with a bloody shovel. She calls out, Hey, Cassie. Shocked, Cassie turns around. Sarah, are you? Crack! And Sarah swings the shovel across Cassie's face, a trail of blood leading from Cassie's mouth to the shovel to indicate motion, that ballet of blood that we were talking about previously. And Cassie blacks out. There's a nice little panel right next to her face that's all outlined in white and is completely black, indicates Cassie has lost consciousness. A black panel, then a panel next to it, swirling out of focus, a crow. Craw? The crow craws again. When the panel comes into focus, craw. We see Cassie tied up in a cruciform, a crow on her shoulder flapping its wing wildly. She's barely coming to. She's tied with rope by the arms, the torso, and the legs. Sarah in the foreground, her back and, frankly, butt to the camera. She's holding Cassie's diary. She's still covered in blood. Cassie murmurs something unintelligible. Sarah says, Cassie. She reaches up to Cassie's face and caresses her cheek gently. I'm sorry I had to do that. I thought you'd understand. I did. I just wasn't sure. She looks down at Cassie's journal. But I read your journal, and you get it, you know? Cassie. What the fuck are you talking about? And now we go back to a flashback scene. Sarah's about to tell her the whole story, basically. The truth about what's going on. And they've changed the art again. It's basically the same art, but colored. Again, like I was saying in the previous issues, very differently. It looks like it's printed on old newspaper, even though it's very high quality paper. And it looks as though it's using the four color process. If you get really close to the image, you can see all the little dots. And it really gives the comic book a very aged effect, like you're doing a flashback. It's very cool. And we see Sarah sunbathing in her backyard. She's wearing a very small white bikini, which the top is undone and it's slipping just down her breasts and you can see a lot. It doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. Also in the back of this panel, 
we see a man creeping on her nearly nude body with a grin on his face. And Sarah's narration begins. I met Matthew when I was 15. He was the bad boy, older neighbor kid. The bad influence every parent dreads. I loved him instantly. We see Sarah looking down at Matthew from her bedroom window. That summer, we snuck out every night. We'd break mailboxes, play ding-dong, ditch it. Once we'd satisfied our appetite for destruction, we'd paw and dry hump until the sun came up. But I always stopped him before we went too far. We now have a panel of Farmer Fig and his daughter. Matthew heard about Farmer Fig and his beautiful daughter. He became obsessed with her. He'd tease me. If I wouldn't put out, maybe Fig's loose daughter would. We see the two sneaking towards Farmer Fig's farm. Matthew, wearing that red striped hoodie and a mask on top of his head. Sarah creeps along behind him. She's scowling. I was fuming with jealousy that Matthew would go on a hunt to get a look at another girl. But I couldn't resist him. Not even when he grabbed a mask and dragged me to the farm. I loved him like I'd never loved anything. The two peek in Farmer Fig's window. We found Jenny Fig. And we do indeed see Jenny Fig. She is laid out in a hospital bed. She looks comatose. She has breathing apparatus over her nose, like tubing. And she's got an IV drip hooked to her arm. Sarah's narration. She was a vegetable. Had been for a few months. Ever since being kicked in the head by a horse. She should have been in a hospital. But Fig's religion didn't allow that. The stories had been lies. Jenny Fig wasn't a slut. She was defenseless. The implication seems pretty blatant, but it seems as though people had been taking advantage of Jenny when she was comatose. Dark. By the way, I haven't really indicated, but in a lot of these panels, they are outlined with corn, corn stalks. It's really, really cool. Just wanted to add that too. It's this absolutely gorgeous effect. Farmer Fig catches them and shoves a double-barreled shotgun in their faces. Fig caught us. We weren't the first to come sneaking around. The old bastard was sick with pain and rage. He took our phones and locked us in his storage shack. It was filled with arcade games. He used to rent them out on the side, I guess. Back when they were popular. But from the look in Fig's eyes, we knew we were going to die. We waited. It felt like days. All we could think about was how Fig was going to kill us. And then the game turned on. And indeed, that mysterious arcade machine, Bloodbus, does turn on for seemingly no reason. You remember when Ludo and Jake had encountered it the first time, the arcade machine wasn't even plugged in. We see the title treatment and the killer from the video game. He's wearing a striped shirt, not unlike Matthew's, but his mask is just a, a gray version of the smiley face, like the don't worry, be happy thing. It looks kind of like that. And he's giant work-gloved hands, and a big old hammer. Like a, you get it at Home Depot, that kind of hammer. Matthew had heard of it. Blood bus. You played a maniac with a hammer chasing kids around a graveyard, smashing as many as you could before they got to the school bus. It had been banned, Matthew said. Pretty much everywhere. The game supposedly made people have fits, go insane, commit suicide. Matthew played. He played for hours. Maybe he was so afraid he wanted to forget where he really was. Maybe the game possessed him. But I sat afraid for my life, and listen to him play for what seemed like forever. And we do see Matthew 
happy playing this video game, the yellow screen illuminating his body. Sarah in a fetal position, sitting there looking at him, angrily. A close-up on Sarah's face. Her makeup's completely run over her face from crying. It was his fault I loved him. His fault that I was there. He was the one who wanted to make me jealous by chasing an urban legend. All because I wouldn't fuck him? I snapped. I don't know how many times I smashed his face into that screen. I just remembered a white, hot flash of rage. The soundtrack to that stupid fucking game. And indeed, Sarah has grabbed the back of Matthew's head and is just slamming it. We see glass. We see blood. We see this rage on her face. She looks badass, actually. And our next cornstalk-lined panel, we see Matthew's broken face, glass still sticking in it, crumpled on the ground, and next to him, sobbing into her knees, is Sarah. Farmer Fig has re-entered the barn. Turns out that Fig calmed down, decided he was going to let us go. But the damage was done. He was more afraid than me. We buried Matthew in the cornfield. I promise not to say a word. To everyone else... I'd run away to Desmones for a few days. It took a while for anyone to notice Matthew was gone. They had assumed he'd run away too. Rebel that he was. But I knew where he was. Rotting in the field. We now see it's night. Sarah is looking down her bedroom window. And we see Matthew there. We don't see his face at first. But we see that wild, stringy black hair. At least, that's where he should have been. He would stand in my yard looking up at the window. His face was covered in a crow-skin mask. But the eyes were the same. Mischievous. Daring. At first I was terrified. Then I was curious. We see a close-up of Matthew's face. He is wearing that crow-skinned mask, which is a nice touch. We see him grinning wildly. He wanted me to bring him victims. Kids to chase and kill. Just like Grinface. Just like Grinface does in Bloodbus. He'd become Grinface. Matthew had died and come back. And he thought he was in a video game. We see Matthew showing Sarah a lot of the bodies, mangled and disemboweled. We see Sarah sitting out of the cornfield, while blood and limbs fly from the stalks. I still loved him, and I felt responsible for what had happened to him. So, I brought Matthew victims. Drifters and homeless people, mostly. At least at first. We now see Matthew staring at partygoers from the cornfield. He's in complete shadow, holding his weapon. Everyone's around the trash can, having a good time, but Sarah is looking out to the cornfield, towards Matthew. Now, Grinface. I tried to remind him of his old life. I started having parties, hoping the sight of kids having fun and drinking would remind him of who he was. Shake him out of the game. We now see a flashback panel of Sarah and Kelsey when we first saw the characters, but didn't really know who they were, and we saw that our killer, our slasher, was looking at them as they were making out and thought maybe he might try to kill them. But Sarah's true goal. I even tried making him jealous by showing off how much the most popular boy in school wanted me. But nothing worked. Now, out of the flashback, where we no longer have panels surrounded by corn, Sarah looking down, defeated, still with lots of blood crested on her face. Maybe there's nothing left of the boy I loved. I don't know what to do. Cassie, still tied to this cross, blood dripping down her lips, looks to Sarah as Sarah continues to speak. When I met you, I knew there was something about you. You'd seen what I've seen. You could understand all this like no one else possibly could. A close-up panel of Sarah's blood-stained face. She looks sad, the starry night sky behind her. Today, Kelsey saw me. Covered in blood, burying that stupid J-kid. He didn't understand. He wanted to go to the police. We see 
the perspective of the cornfield, looking at the two women as they speak. Someone calls out, Sarah! We now see Kelsey, confused, scared, a wound on his head. It's bleeding badly. Sarah, help me. Please, help me. A close-up panel. He's scared, wide-eyed. A sound effect, a little onomatopoeia from the corner. Shunk. We pull out. Grin face, hitting Kelsey in the back of the head with the back of his hammer and a little pointy hook stuff. Pulls the nails out. It's sunk deep into Kelsey's skull. His eyes roll back and he mutters something inaudible as he collapses to the ground. We now see Kelsey's white sneakers sticking out amongst stalks of corn. A close-up panel of Sarah's cruel, determined-looking face still caked in blood. Please, tell me you understand. To be continued. And there we have it. Issue 3 of Hackslash, My First Maniac. Now, what Tim has done in this is really brought to light the, the, the true nature of the legend of Farmer Fig. And I find it really interesting that that it is a classic campfire story of a scary old farmer and his sexy daughter. But the reality is so much darker. The, the idea of this woman being probably assaulted while she was comatose. But then you have this extra element of like a magical evil arcade machine that has at the very least possessed the mind of Matthew. The, 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 the thing that's obviously supernatural about this arcade machine is it's not plugged in, it turns on on its own, and Matthew played it obsessively and became evil, and even though he was like a rebel bad boy, he wasn't, he was aware of the situation that he was in. He seemed genuinely scared until the the arcade machine came on, and we've also seen that when Ludo and uh, Jay had been handling that machine, it had kind of turned on on its own too, so I don't know, I like it. I mean, some people might have an issue with the fact that, wait, okay, so there's a supernatural arcade machine? Where did that come from? I don't always necessarily need an explanation for things like this. I just like the fact that it exists. This idea that a video game could be so violent and controversial and almost willing people to want to play it. Maybe you could argue that the arcade machine was a perfect point to corrupt living good people. You can have a controversial game. People like that sort of violence in their media are drawn to it like a moth to flames. All these themes have bubbled to the surface, and next week we are going to get to the thrilling conclusion of Hackslash, my first maniac. And you're not going to want to miss it, because let me tell you, this fucking story ends so fucking sweet. You guys are going to dig it. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Rick Hunter for the use of my intro and outro music, and also Chris Begarin for the wonderful art that he provides for the podcast. I am Wes Deadairnipe. And you've been listening to Panels of Blood.